so I went out quickly, clutching the book. My knuckles were white around it, I noticed, as if my hands belonged to someone else. I don't mind admitting it. I was nervous, frightened of what I might find, and how much it might alter my old certainties, when so many of the recent ones had already gone. In retrospect, it was the perfect frame of mind in which to begin what I was trying to do. Alive to changes and misinterpretations, I trusted nothing. This was a new way of thinking for me. It still felt odd to have no trust in the world. But thanks to Richard, there was deceit and duplicity everywhere. It was like a cold knife in the flesh, this newly minted cynicism, sharpened by my own small deceptions, to cover the wound. The lies had started as soon as I arrived alone at the boat hire office, where I picked up the key to the Prospero apartments. Unfortunately, my husband couldn't come with me, I told Manolis Kiotsas. He was frowning at the printout of my booking, clearly made for a married couple, Richard and Melissa Quiller. Manolis, a jovial, wide-faced man in his forties, was sympathetic and eager to offer help. He was also waiting for more. The Greeks are tactful as well as hospitable, and for all that they're unembarrassed in their curiosity about other people's lives, especially on this island. I'd learned that much already from Julian Aidy. Work. His business. He couldn't get away, I said. Monolis pulled down the corners of his mouth with a wry twist this time. He nodded sagely, acknowledging a wise decision not to have cancelled in the circumstances. Be it good you have come. You will have nice time. Still sunny for a few days. Nice rest, nice food. I'm sure I will. You come to the Prospero Taverna this evening. You have some wine? I smiled, without committing myself. He handed over two large keys and gave me directions to the apartment, about a hundred metres further up the road. It was on the first floor of a modern house overlooking the sea, a few steps up a path on the hillside of the road. I found the outside stairs at one side and carried my bags up, feeling suddenly exhausted. There was no evidence that any of the other apartments in the property were occupied. The door opened easily. Inside it was clean and white. A bedroom, a shower room and a sitting room, with a basic kitchen along one wall. I sluiced off the grime of travel, the early morning start on the motorway, the sweat of penned-in airport queues, then lay down wrapped in a dry towel on the double bed. I could cry now if I wanted. It didn't matter. I knew no one here in Corfu. No need for any pretense. The stupid lie to Manolis apart, I was feeling all right, or as well as could be expected. There was relief in simply being away, a guilty relief, that the worst had happened and I could stop fearing it. I didn't intend to sleep, but my eyes closed and oblivion took over. That first evening, thoughts of my mother came easily as I sat on the rocks below the White House. How she had always loved the sun and sea, the spiciness of southern air. Her sense of fun, but also the self-containment that sometimes made her distant. 
her delight in colour and history, the Greek myths she would retell. My own sense, successfully sublimated for years, that she had made light of her struggles and did not want her subsequent decisions to be scrutinised too closely. When my mother was young, she made a minor name for herself as a seascape painter and exhibited several times at a well-known London gallery. My father, Edward, helped in that. An art historian and writer, he always claimed to have promoted her. But equally, later on, he made it more difficult for her to work. Gradually she stopped painting, though there was a brief resurgence after he left. Afterwards she became an interior decorator. She made a good living by using her eye for colour and form in other people's houses. And given that she was a woman on her own with a child to support, it may have been as simple as making the best use of a talent.